Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Inner Balance Psychology Center. I'm your host, Dr. Don Raffa, and join with me today is my co-host, Anthony Dana. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing great. We are nearing 300 downloads on our episodes, which is very exciting. Actually, in first place right now, I think, was the first show, which, looking back on it now, and I think I said this before, really criticizing yourself when you listen, and then you're like, wow, okay. And other people, oh, no, oh it, was, it was fine. And I'm like, no, I hear things that I don't do in the third, fourth, and fifth, you know, but I'm sure I'll, I'll keep doing that. That's just how you get better in life, right? So I guess it's a... Yeah, there's growth. So that's that's how we're supposed to progress in life, right? Yeah. Supposed to grow. Okay. So we start out with our quote of the day, right? So you have the uh, quote today, right? Well, today's... So the, the topic is couples therapy. And the quote is pretty simple. It's the title of a book by your mentor. And it is, Love is Never Enough. When I was searching for a quote and I was talking to you about this and you're like, well, I mean, that's a quote. That's his book title and that's, that's a quote and that says a lot. That, that's got a lot of layers to it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It really does. So obviously we're talking about Aaron Tebeck. Right. Tell me off, you know, just uh, off the cuff what that title means to you, says to you in a nutshell. Well, I think that it's um, very explanatory in the sense that people have delusions of relationships and marriage, especially. And, you know, it isn't like a movie where the credits roll and the princess gets the prince at the end of the Disney movie and they show the credits happily ever after. Like love is a lot, but it's never enough. People don't realize how much work goes into a relationship. And they often sometimes, you know, don't want to do the work. They have a lot of shoulds in their thinking should be easy, you know, and there's different stages of relationships that people don't realize. Right. And what comes to mind when I read this quote is it's, to me, it's very controversial because growing up and listening to music, I was taught, I believe the Beatles said, love is all you need. And love will find a way. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, love so powerful. The power of love. Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, I can go on and don't worry, I won't. <laughs> but is there something to be said that love can be enough, but because you love somebody, if you truly love that person, you can do all these things that are necessary for a healthy relationship, but it all can be inspired by love. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like in the name of love, like doing these things because you love that person, it could be kind of like a, a reasoning, a rationale, a value. But so too many times people just, it's a blanket statement. Well, hey, you know, okay, I love you. Okay. So just. Well, I got, what else I got to do? No, there's a lot you have to do. Well, I mentioned before about the stages. I just want to kind of okay. touch on that for a second. So the beginning phase is the honeymoon passion stage where we literally have hits of dopamine and feel good hormones and serotonin. And people love that. People love that stage and want to get back to it. Maybe you can get some snippets of that. But after that's a realization stage where people start to realize each other's flaws now, I want to venture to guess that it's probably about a year, a year and a half into the relationship where people start to notice this. The rebellion stage is actually the stage where people start to have conflict and maybe enter into therapy. Cooperation stage would be next. Um, that's typically when you're co-parenting or in a partnership together. I mean, reunion stage usually is the, I think, the empty nest stage. Explosion stage is typically when there's a medical crisis or tragedy that may occur kind of end of life 
you know, decisions. And then the completion stage, I, I imagine is retirement. So people really chase that passion. Why wouldn't you want to? So there's a quote that I was wanting to get your, um, your input on from Aaron Beck. If our thinking is bogged down by distorted symbolic meanings, illogical reasoning, and erroneous interpretations, we become, in truth, blind and deaf. Mm. Does that have a broader meaning than relationships, or can the two be intertwined together? Well, when you mention that, obviously it's talking about cognitive behavioral therapy and the cognitive model, which I mentioned before in other podcasts, but really it's our perception, you know, our perception of a situation, which, um, you know, is a problem in relationships, people's perception of their partner being a certain way or interpreting their behavior a certain way, assuming mind reading, also just jumping to conclusions about what something means. And yeah, we can, I guess, get blinded by that and take it as truth about Mm. the other person. And it's it's a huge part of uh, problems in a relationship. All right. Well, doctor, I'm going to start. I have a list of questions for you as I normally do. So Q&A, right? Yeah, let's begin our Q&A. And first question would be, what type of therapeutic methods do you utilize when you work with couples in couples therapy? Well, um, you know, I'm a big fan, obviously, of evidence-based treatment and cognitive behavioral therapy. There is a book, the one that we referenced, Love is Never Enough, that Aaron Beck wrote uh, specifically for couples, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for couples. The other method is the Gottman method. Julie and John Gottman have been around since 1974, and they actually did studies with couples. So they have a ton of research and a ton of evidence based behind their treatment. I am um, currently level one trained with them. I'm going to do level two training with them too. But um, I always recommend, as always, even for individual therapy, that people go to someone who has training in something that's evidence-based, not just sitting and fighting and leaving. You know what I mean? So there has to be like a protocol that's there. So since we're, since we're talking about books that can help with couples therapy, we mentioned, you mentioned two of them. Um, the one that I think most of our listeners are, might be um, privy to is the, the one on love language or languages of love. Oh, the five love languages. The five love languages, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Are they, you familiar with them? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are words of affirmation, like spending time or quality time. The terminology that they use, the catchphrase that they have, is it like just affection or, or touch or, or... Oh, yeah. Physical, physical touch. Physical touch, right? Gifts and acts of service. So um, I'm glad you mentioned love languages because it's, it's very relatable. You know, when I talk about this with people, they, they often really like it. And um, it's relatable for couples, but also for parents with their children. Everyone has a love language and all five of them are probably good for people, but there's typically one that really takes the cake. That really is, that's my language. So finding that out about your partner is fun and them knowing it about you. And they actually have a quiz online, like a 30 question quiz that you can do. The author, David Chapman, maybe is his name. I have to look it up, but um, I would recommend that to start with because again, with that whole misinterpretation of someone's behavior, like you might think that someone likes quality time when they actually want words of affirmation and there's miscommunication or expectations not met because you're just speaking the wrong language. Does that make sense? Definitely does. And it's, uh, from what I remember, it's not, you know, if, if anybody's out there is like me, a lot of times I might be intimidated by like uh, 
a book that's as long as a Russian novel. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to, I mean, it might be good, but it's 700 pages. So, um, you know, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, you know, being dramatic here, but I don't believe that it was very long read. So you you can, you can knock this out probably in a week. Um, if you really fun to do together, you know, as a couple to like, Oh, figure out your language, your love language. And it's really informative. It's great knowledge to have because oftentimes I'll ask people, Oh, I do show her that I care about her. Really? What are you doing? Well, I am changing the oil in her car and I am, you know, um, doing the dishes. And she's like, well, actually, I really want words of affirmation. I want you to tell me. You know, yeah, but when her car breaks down, and, uh, then she's very appreciative then. I'm, I know. Right. Well, the thing is, too, to, to be aware of and be mindful of is we show love to our significant others and partners in, the, in our own language. So he might be thinking, that's how I feel loved and cared about. And I'm going to I'm gonna change your oil because I want you to do that for me. Right. Change my oil. Yeah. All right. Um, second question. What are some wrong reasons why a person goes into couple therapy? Reason, yeah, like their rationale for going into therapy. Right. Is there, is there such a thing as, I mean, maybe, maybe the term wrong isn't a good one, but ineffective yeah like they may be very they believe it to be like well it might be very noble reason why or it might just it might just be a talk service also sure well probably the worst reason is for other people because um it's an ultimatum my spouse wants me to go my in-laws my boss whoever so usually the doing it for other people is wrong it's normally the man who is dragged in by the woman do you find? Um, it seems to be, again, I work, you know, this is anecdotally from my own practice. That's, that's exactly. We tend to see that right now we're a practice of all women, you know, but um, yeah, it seems to be. And then the last ditch effort, you know, like I'm only doing this to go through the motions. I'm doing this for the kids. Wrong reasons. Don't do it. You got to do it for yourself and for the us and the we. People lose that because it's doomed to fail. Why? It's a should. Why are you do this? All right. Well, you know, I'm going to get back to this. I can see. So anything that has to do with somebody other than themselves. So when people say, I'm doing this, I'm trying to stay together for the kids. I'm doing this for her. Maybe they feel guilty because of something they did in the marriage and and they're going to maybe do that for her. But it's it's not them or it's what my my family wants me to do. It's an embarrassment if we don't stay together. Oh, yeah. And there's beliefs that come with that, right? Like cultural beliefs and family beliefs. Sure. I'm never going to get divorced and I have to do this. And then the other reason, by the way, I want to mention is, I don't know if you guys know this, but we therapists are not magic workers and miracle workers. We do not have a magic wand to save your marriage. And often people will come in and think that we have all the answers for that. Yeah. So it's work. You know, it's work for couples to work. And they sometimes don't do that. You find that most of the time when couples come to you, it's pretty much a day late and a dollar short. Mm-hmm. And But at the same time, there's still a chance. Right. Yeah. We want to have hope. But a lot of times when I hire people to work in the practice, most of the therapists, when I ask the do's and don'ts, like what kind of patients do you want to see or not see? A lot of people don't want to see couples because it's hard for us too. It's hard work. And my thinking on it are people come too late. They come in the rebellion stage. They come when there's so much negative sentiment about the other person and so much resentment. And it's just really difficult at that point, not impossible, but they just wait too long. Number one, <laughs> doomed kind the, the, of like, you the, know. The tubes already, or the uh, toothpaste is already out of the tube, so to speak. I see. All right. Okay. Give you a, um, for instance, say a, a couple's having problems. Mm-hmm. One wants to go to therapy. Okay. The other one doesn't. Right. The one who wants to go to therapy just figures, you know what? 
screw it. I'm just going to go to therapy by myself. Mm-hmm. Can this be at all productive or is it just a waste of time? Well, I wouldn't say it's a complete waste of time. I mean, sometimes if a therapist is skilled and they're trained from a um, family model or a couple's model, they can pick up on the interaction between the couple and they can still kind of like indirectly do some couple therapy, should I say. So sort of, it's not ideal, you know what I mean? But I would rather have somebody referred out to couples therapy. And sometimes it's the foot in the door. They'll come in for individual therapy. They'll get used to the process and then we'll transition to couples therapy and, you know, we can take it from there. So I wouldn't say it's a complete waste of time, but if they come in and just complain about their spouse, yeah, <laughs> well, not really helpful. And I mean, it could possibly backfire where yeah. the person's sitting there and the therapist is like, well, why isn't he here? Why isn't she here? And that person, you know what? You're right. And, and what am I? What am I doing? And I don't, I don't even know why I bother. Right. And they and they can just it just instead of maybe getting better, that, that person can Big you know fall deeper into the uh, quicksand of resentment. Right. Yeah. There's that, and also I've on more than one occasion gotten blamed for people getting divorced because I had a patient patients come in individually, and they realized through our therapy maybe they weren't happy with this person. They didn't want to. But work they realized it. They realized. They yeah. realized it. Look, I said before, like, I never tell people what to do. Right. I always just say, these are your choices because we always have choices. These are the pros. These are the cons. But you're in a field where people, and I think a lot of people are like this. I just come to see more and more. People just want to be told what to do. Oh, yeah. It's one, they're blameless. Okay. Yeah, if it doesn't work out, it's your fault. Yeah. yeah. And they don't, have, they don't have to own their choices. Right. But also, they're, they're just not confident in themselves making choices. To making choices. Right. Speaking of choices, I want to mention there's... um. We have four choices with these types of relationship dilemmas. We always have choices, although, you know, people don't realize this. You could leave. That's choice one. If you're unhappy in a relationship, stay and change what can be changed, which is cool. Stay and accept what cannot be changed. Now, again, this is accepting what you can't change about your partner. And uh, newsflash, you cannot change your partner. You can it's just you can't do it. They have to want to change. Number four, stay, give up and do things that make it worse. This situation obviously causes more pain and suffering. And which one do you think people... I would go with D, probably D. (laughs) Number four, yay, ding, ding, ding. People like to do that. They stay, uh, give up, and do things that make it worse. Two and three, uh, those choices in the middle, that kind of reminded me of, um, oh God, you know, give me the, give me the, what is it, Lord, give me the strength to change the things I can. and oh, accept serenity. The, yeah, I mean, seriously, yeah. That, yeah. Oh, really? That's a whole nother segment. So acceptance commitment therapy is something else we'll talk about at some point. But this actually is from uh, Act With Love. It's an acceptance commitment therapy book. Okay. Specifically for couples. And pretty logical, right? Like, you don't really, like, like, accept what you cannot change. And people have lots of delusions about changing their partner or changing people. And they, you just can't. A couple comes to you, they start off together for their first session, and then after that, you like to split them up. Yeah. So the best way to go about that is they come in for an assessment and they actually have a relationship checkup assessment that I give them. They eat that's emailed to them now that it's available via email. So we talk together about what's going on and then they do the assessment that I meet with them for an hour uh, individually next time, second and third session. And then the next time they come back together and we go over the, re- the relationship survey results and talk about the treatment plan. All right. So like the fourth session is like really, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not like a lot. It's assessment. 
kind of gathering a lot of information and coming up with a plan of action. So there's communication styles and there is behavioral patterns. And the Gottmans came up with this metaphor called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Apocalypse being the yeah end of DOA, end of the relationship. And um, those are defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, and contempt. Now, once contempt sets in, kind of like we're talking about with the Beck uh, negative, you know, beliefs about your partner, negative sentiment override is uh, really, really difficult to reverse. They're um, predictors of divorce, you know, and once that sets in. And unfortunately, when that is occurring, all four of them simultaneously, they come into therapy, it's a lot more difficult to uh, work on the marriage. Now, I'm not saying it's, you know, over per se, but really difficult. Is there like um, a cooling off period that can help some, again, certain couples, like maybe they can just distance themselves for like a couple of weeks if they're, if they're, if they're capable of that with, you know, obviously with kids and the home. Like Did, a separate trial separation. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, but like maybe a shorter term, I guess, than because separation sounds you know, like a longer, I mean, just something like, hey, let's just, we're sick of each other. Obviously we both need a break from each other and we, and we need to maybe think about things. Like and miss each other to a degree. What's that? Like miss each other maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. And you know what? The other problem with um, all of these four horsemen is that it isn't how couples fight. Like fighting is okay. Like conflict isn't bad. Because right. if you don't have any conflict, people aren't really discussing how they feel and they're avoiding. It's just the way that you argue, you know, the way that you resolve the conflict. And the biggest coping mechanism is avoidance. So brushing things under the rug and avoiding and avoiding builds resentment. Yep. And the reason, one of the reasons why people get divorced more so than conflict, believe it or not, is loneliness, lack of friendship, distance. That needs to be addressed. So maybe, but that might just kind of give more distance to the relationship. So, yeah. you know, you have people who, when they're in therapy and they complain, say if they're in therapy, they're not in couples therapy, but obviously some of that does come out, right? During, oh, yeah, the relationship? Yeah. Oh. And they tell you that, you know, when he does this, when he does that, whatever, yeah. well, you ask them, what do you do when you say that to him? Yeah, I try to get an idea of the interactional pattern, kind of like, and then what? And then what do you do? And what if they say, I don't say anything because I don't want to argue? Then that's showing because that, that argument, it could be very toxic where a healthy couple can argue. You know, again, nobody likes to argue. Nobody does. Yeah. But you, you, one, you, you don't want to just take stuff with you throughout the entire marriage. And at the same time, but you don't want to be a dictator and you have to find that happy medium. But you can have an argument. And then at the end of the day, okay, we argued. I heard you, you heard me, and now we can just continue on with the day. Right. So as long as there's, you know, like a way to resolve it, the um, aftermath of a fight, there's a way to kind of like resolve that. There's bids for affection. There's a repair attempt. So I look for that, you know, to see how they resolve it. Now, most people avoid, you know, and some of the time, some of the time when people come in individually, I'll try to help them and coach them on how to speak to their spouse differently. Mm -hmm. And then we prepare for the what ifs, the worst case, best case. My thinking is generally it's better to be honest to some degree and, and talk about this thing because avoiding it's just going to cause more and more distance and resentment. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I think so too. What do most men have in common within couples therapy mm -hmm. that they need to work on that you've seen? And again, we're just generalizing here, but right. generalizing can sometimes be fun. <laughs> um, so men, well, I mean, I find again, like I said, more women tend to come to therapy. Men are sometimes their arm is twisted in coming and sometimes they have beliefs about it's private. What we talk about is private and it should stay within the family. Cultural beliefs, maybe family beliefs of you don't need this 
woman or this man helping you with your marriage. And um, yeah, like I said, they have that defensiveness. Women can as well. So men and women have different conversational styles. Women ask more questions. Men are less likely to ask personal questions. So men think that questions might be intrusive. So they might not like coming to therapy, getting asked questions or being on the spot. Or believing that they're going to be judged in some way. Well, again, you just said this woman telling me what to do. I don't think it would matter if it was a male therapist um, in that regard. Not. Yeah. So I get a mixed bag of like, so if I'm seeing a female patient and she comes to me and talks about her marriage and I say, well, why don't we transition into marriage counseling? I'm okay with that as long as I'm just in that role. So sometimes their spouse will say, yeah, like your therapist already knows me. So right. I, I want to go see Dr. Raff. And then it's like two women against one. Of course, I know which side she's going to be I always give the other, the other person a choice, especially <laughs> right. if it's a man, because he, it could go either way. Like, sure. They're gang up on me, these two women. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be like, wow, this woman really knows all my wife's flaws. <laughs> so or yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So it's never cut and dry, you know, as long as you're not as a therapist in both roles. But okay. Yeah. On the flip side, what do most women have in common within couples therapy that they need to work on? Well, I guess the same thing, like as far as defensiveness and just communication style and being open to changing what they do as well, because people like to come into therapy and just blame each other and then have me side with them, you know, and like the worst thing is to sit there as a therapist and just watch people fight for an hour. I don't mind watching them talk about an issue. Like I'll give them a topic and say, you two talk about this amongst themselves for like 10, 15 minutes, just because I want to see how they communicate with one another. But sure. if it gets crazy, like yeah. that's, that's ineffective. Then they just came to therapy and it was negative and they fought the whole time. Right. And they're looking for me to side with, uh, well, she did this and he did that, you know? So I guess um, being open to seeing your part of the problem, women not just blaming their spouse for that. Okay. When is a good time into a marriage for a couple to begin therapy? So that's kind of like a trick question, right? So before you get married, (laughs) I believe in premarital counseling is always good. And people, I would rather people come even when it's going well. And I know that sounds crazy, but to talk about what's going right and planning for the future. Hey, we are going to have career changes. We're going to have children, like a maintenance, kind of like you maintenance your oral hygiene, you maintenance your car. Ideally that, because like I said, people come when it's often too late. You want to go into the dentist regularly and not just when you need a root canal. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, and and that's, but that's also where couples therapy gets a bum rap because too many people do exactly that. They, okay, last resort, couples therapy. Right. I guess we got it. We guess we got to try this. So we can say we did. Yeah. You got to say we did it. And I ask people to commit for 12 sessions that comes from Imago therapy actually. And, and then we'll reevaluate after that. And I I go through the whole spiel. If you have one foot out the door, don't even bother. It's not going to work. People assure me they don't. I can sometimes tell they do. Right. Um, I have a great, you know, referral source for divorce lawyers. I can give them that instead. But um, yeah, so. Well, and also in, in, in that, to that point, so if you do wait to the very end, that's what you're looking at. So if you do it periodically throughout the marriage and you're still in a good place, keep it there with couples therapy because that is a lot cheaper than a lawyer down the road. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, for both of you. Divorces can cost three times as much as a wedding in these days, you know? So um, prevention is good because, like I said, that negative sentiment override is... It makes a lot of sense. All to change, right? Once you resent your partner, there's no... I mean, love might be there, sort of, but there's no friendship, admiration, fondness. Like, that's just you know, buried somewhere. You might, you might've said, you know, to, to, you might've thought to yourself to a, to a couple, like, 
yeah, if you guys would have gotten here, you know, when did the problem start? Yeah. Three, four years ago. Well, that would have been a good time to get here, but yeah. you're here now. And it's like, but then even better, if you would have gotten here eight to 10 years when things were going pretty darn good. And I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not saying like we psychologists can save the day, but like come in and talk about things, you know, in a preventative way. And not at the eleventh hour, you know, yeah. And then hope for a miracle. Well, I get that a lot. Um, uh, you know, being a teacher, I, I, uh, oh, at the end of the marking period, it's like, so what do I have to do to get an A for the marking period? And what I want to say to them, I don't do this, but I say, okay, so Johnny, you need to go back in time, get a DeLorean, and the beginning of the marking period, actually care and hand stuff in, and and you know now it's like it's mathematically impossible for you to get an A. I'd, I'd be happy with a D right now. I mean, with what what <laughs> so exactly like pe- too many people, you know, these expectations are unrealistic. Uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, fix it in some way. Yeah, I bet you see it. I know my friends that are college uh, professors, same thing, same thing. It's not just high school kids, unfortunately. Well, yeah. <laughs> At least they can say, well, you know, they are kids. It's a little bit more understandable, let's just put it that way. Instead of an adult that's looking for miracles, right? Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. When do couples generally start seeing a downward spiral in their marriage? Yeah. Well, remember I mentioned before about the phases, you know, stages of uh, marriage. Right. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Research, 20% of first marriages end within five years. end within 10 years. And that rebellion stage usually begins within four years into the marriage. However, that's not when people are bailing. Usually around year seven and eight is actually the, uh, you know, the transition of when they bail. So if you made it to say seven years, that's the hump (laughs) or a major one. Apparently. Yeah. So, okay. (laughs) So you can at least hang your hat on. Hey, we did seven years. I did seven. We did. I did my seven. You know. Cheaper alimony. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> boy, I tell you what, man. It sounds like so negative when we say things like that, but there's truth to it. It's it's very realistic. All right. So I have a game. Ooh, you got a game. Yeah. And it is on Hollywood marriages. Ooh. So we're gonna take a look at some famous couples. Ooh. And I have two categories here. We're gonna start off with old Hollywood okay. and then modern Hollywood. And the game is this. I'm going to give you the couple. And then you tell me, give me the over or under seven years. Okay. Right. Whether they made it past. Do they make it past that seven years? Right. Or not? Okay. Okay. And they, they, and they might have still ended in divorce, but they, they got over their seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And actually in Hollywood, I believe, I think I did read that a successful Hollywood marriage is somewhere between six and seven years. So, so, to the, so for Hollywood, these are success stories if they made it over. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say two. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's start off with old Hollywood. I'm going to start off with right. Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. So I just have to say over. Under. Over under seven years. I'm like betting. Right. All right. So I want to say... Oh, wait, and the audience, you guys can play along if you'd like. You can maybe bet amongst yourselves, pause it, see and make your bets. And then right. this way makes the show a little bit more fun for you. Okay. I would say over. I'm thinking I'm wrong. Based on 200, 247 days. Oh, <laughs> I'm way off there. Ooh, baby. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. Uh, yeah. That's not even a year. You remember, first of the Kennedys. Yes, Marilyn Monroe. And like, again, think about these people. Well, again, lifestyle-wise, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then lip, right? Yeah, and then, of course, and then there's, oh, God, who, then she married, um, I forget the the, the author, I forget his name off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, it's coming back to me. Yeah, it'll come back maybe at the end of the show. 
after I secretly Google it. Anyway, I'm just kidding. All right. Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. and Lauren Bacall. Are you okay with the romantic? I want to say <sighs> under. That one is over. Ooh. Yeah. Bogey. Remember, I think there was a song back in the 80s, like just like Bogey and McCall or something mm-hmm. like that. They were looked upon as a somewhat successful Hollywood couple. How long were they named? Uh, 1945 to 1957. Huh. Major age difference yeah. of 20 plus years, though. Yeah. I believe they were like 22 years apart. Yeah. He died of a heart attack. Or no, I'm sorry. He had cancer. 1957, he died of cancer. I wonder if he was the oldest uh, brother of his sister. (laughs) There you go. All right. So it only ended because he... You know what? That would be interesting to take a look at Hollywood couples and see the ones that were successful. Again, under this criteria. (laughs) uh, All right. How do you define success under this definition of success? Right. Next one, Mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. Okay. I'm going to say over. Not quite. They were married. But see, that's just it, though. But then they dated for a long time before their marriage. But they, the actual marriage, and again, when you're married, it's different. Different. That's a whole other show. Right. Oh, things aren't going to change when we get married. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, that is that is another show. I like that. Uh, 1951 to 1957. So, I mean, six years. They were close. They got, like, the consolation prize. Yeah. This one is epic. Okay. For anybody who's a fan of old Hollywood, this one is epic. Um, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Ooh. I want to say over. Okay. Yes. Oh, I got one. Yes. Now, both of them, I think, I got to look them up, but both of them were married, I think, at least four or five times each. Mm-hmm. And they were married from 1964 to 1974 mm-hmm. and divorced and then remarried in 1975 <laughs> and divorced in 1976. So they thought it was a good idea to get back together. And then it was like, nah. There are stories of this. There are people who have been married and divorced and then divorced, or married again and divorced again. First of all, people who get divorced and then get remarried. Hey, my hat's off to you. God bless you. Good for you. Because that's... I don't really see the point, but... But that, but I'm just saying, like, that's... <laughs> hey, listen, that's bold. Okay. Yeah. But the same ex-spouse. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, wow. I guess they're they're deluding themselves that it's gonna be different things now. I don't I don't know. She changed. You know, maybe you know, if she never she never changed her last name and anything, so it's just convenient. Oh, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's convenient. Finally, the last one. Okay, this one's interesting. Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood. Okay. Over or under? Under. It's the over. However I'm like really off base today. That's okay. It's okay. Nineteen fifty seven. To 1962. They both worked for the same studio. And she was, I believe, 10. And he was 18. When she first saw him, she was with her mother. He Mm -hmm. walked past her. And she said to her mother, I'm going to marry that man. Get out of here. At 10 years old? At 10 years old. And so then the studio, I want to say it was 20th Century Fox, but I might be wrong. 1956, they had this like quote unquote date. And I think she was 18. Oh, and so, well, yeah. And, you know, and so then what does that make him? 26? Okay. And they, but it was like, a, it was like a, just a, for a photographs and they were riding in a car. They had dinner and it was like just photographers around. PR. That's all it was. It was PR. It was, yeah. But I guess there was a, a spark. And then a year later, they got married in 1957 to 1962. Then they divorced each other. And then they both remarried, had children and divorced. And then they, they, yes, yes. And then they shocked everybody at the 1972 Oscars when they appeared together randomly. And then they were married later that year. So they remarried in 72 
to 1981. Do we uh, count that as a, I don't know. Well, it's over, it's, 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 all right, the first time they didn't make it, the second time they did, though. So I was technically right. Okay, with the first marriage, yes, right. you were. So you were right However, the first the marriage. scheme of things. Right. And then there's a lot of controversy over her death, because um, it was a drowning, and I believe it was just he and her, and she drowned. Uh, a lot of people know that story, and my mother still swears that Robert Wagner he did it. He was ill. He, I, you know, because I, I, I put heart to heart on and she goes, turn that off. I don't want to watch a murderer. That's right. And I'm just watching it for Stephanie Powers. But anyway, I'm like, okay, fine. I don't know this backstory, but thanks, mom. All right. Modern Hollywood, Brad Pitt uh-huh. and Jennifer Aniston. Oh boy. They're... What were they called? Do they have like union name like Bradifer? Bradifer? No, Bradifer? that doesn't sound right. Was it Bradifer? Yeah, I don't remember. All right, so I want to say that they're probably close to seven. Maybe they're like just shy or something, six years. So I'm going to say under. That's a safe bet, and you're right. 2000 to 2005. They did date for a couple years before that, so sure. Yeah. Okay, now, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Mr. Mrs. Smith. Oh, I just saw that movie the other day. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Tell you what, there's a lot of, and they were still, so Brad was still married to Jennifer during the taping of that movie. And like, there was some convincing acting going on. And I want to use the term loosely, acting. Yeah, yeah. This chemistry may have been real. That happens a lot in Hollywood. They just, and again, it's such, it's, you're on set. It's kind of romantic setting. Everybody's just doing things for you and you got to run your lines. 15 hours a day together. It's torture. Sounds like it. I can imagine. And get paid millions of dollars. All right, so they were together a long time, and they did have a obviously a unified name there, the Brangelina, right? Yes. They may have been like among the first. I'm gonna say over. Okay. Unless it was also six years with them. So <laughs> you have kids, I know. They were together. They weren't married. That's they had <laughs> they a whole were, adoption. Yes. Group. So they were married from 2014 to 2016. Mm. So it was going great until they got married, and then they only lasted two years. Then. Missed for that. Technically speaking, they were together for over that seven years stint. That's that's a gray area. Put an asterisk next to their names. Okay. okay. Special. All right. Next couple, modern Hollywood, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. Or Demi Moore. Under. They went wow. from 87 to 2000. Now, now, it was very rocky many I of those years. Yeah. Impulsively without thinking, but yeah. It, it was rocky. 13 years. 13 years. They have, yeah, and they have children... A lot of children together. Three girls. 13 years. That's pretty epic for Hollywood. That's pretty good. Listen, they were both huge stars. They were the people. Right. It wasn't an A and a B list. Right. An A, A, A. Nobody was playing tambourine in that marriage. All right. So we're going to go from Bruce Willis to Demi Moore to Demi Moore to Ann Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Okay. So under. Nope. 2005 to 2013. Really? Is my math right there? Yeah, that's that's uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. Really, I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. So I'm basing this on tabloids. I'm like, how long were they in the tabloids? Well, yeah. Is under you know. Okay. Next up, Ashton Kutcher mm-hmm. and Mila Kunis. Oh yeah. Kunis. Well, they're still together. They're still together, but when did they get married? Marshalls. So, so so it's still pending. It's pending. <laughs> it's pending. Wait, they're married. They're married, yeah. but it's pending to see if they get over. Oh, oh I just gave uh, it away. Uh, I'm sorry. I gave it away. Under. Well, that's yeah. okay. You well, know what? I was going to say under. Next year, I think, uh, they're is they're, they're six years. Years. It's, uh, they six years. It's 2015. They win the prize. So, so I was going to say under. So right now they're they're on six. And, uh, when, you know, as soon as it's 22, they made it. Mm-hmm. So, yay. Okay. All right. And finally, as an honorable mention, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. 
Okay, so I believe this is somewhat tricky. No, not somewhat. <laughs> it's a curveball. Um, it is a curveball. Thank you. Okay, so they have never been married, but I believe they're together right. still. And they have been for more than seven years. It's not really a curveball. It's more like I had some Vaseline in my back pocket and I just smeared it all over the baseball. Yeah, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn have been together since 1984. And of course, this is the couple that, you know, when are you guys going to get married? And they both look at each other and they go, why do we need to do that? We're happy. Like, yeah. leave it alone. And, they're, you know, they, they're 30, 37 years, uh, 37 years. That's, that's about as successful as you can get in Hollywood. Yeah, there's no ring or ceremony or anything, but yeah. they're together because they want to be. And there's something to be said about that. That's cool. So they are the exception to the rule there. They are. Right. So is that it? Yeah. That's all I have. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. I This one was a good one. They're all good, but this one just flowed. I think we're uh, way more comfortable, at least I am. Yeah. And in doing this. I think we're doing great. And by the way, I forgot to mention the we were going to do a different topic. And the reason we did this one is because we have gotten a lot of calls for couples marriage counseling since the pandemic. So it kind of sparked the uh, oh idea as to what's relatable to people. Why do you think that is, doctor? Why do I think that is? Well, a lot of reasons. Uh, mostly because, again, these problems were there prior to the pandemic. And they're, you know, clichely, they're stuck together in the house, actually. And um, stuff that was already there, maybe the horsemen were kind of brewing, there were ponies <laughs> kind of brewing. And it comes to fruition because they don't have space and they really have to face their problems instead of avoiding and brushing it out of the rock. Well, I have a neighbor and there's a couple that live a few doors down from me. Mm-hmm. And when I drive in, and sometimes I'll be coming home like nine, ten o'clock or something, and he is just in his garage constantly. And it's a nice little garage he made into his little den. I hate the term man cave, but fine. And he's always in there. Yeah, I mean, avoiding, and you know, there's something to be said to a degree. But again, like I said before, like there's too much distance. People lose their friendship. Yeah, they lose their closeness, and yeah. they can't hide from each other. And then this guy's still trying, I guess, or, or has been. Or that maybe this has always been the marriage before pandemic. I don't know. It could have been before the pandemic. And one of the things that I read, I, I forget where I read this. It was a, a psychologist, I believe, that was one of the uh, couples therapy people that said the biggest predictor of divorce is asking people about their wedding day. Like how to recall their wedding day Okay. see how they recall it, if it's with joy and elation or if it's with doom and gloom. And he saw that that was one of the biggest predictors at the time of divorce. So wow. you look for some positivity somewhere in there. If they can at least have that friendship and that adoration at some point in their history, you got some fire to, you know, to kind of spark instead of just being well you know, kindling. When you're watching your video, you know, you always go, oh, my God, look at me. I was so thin. Or, wow, we were so young. What happened? Uh, and then you might get more depressed. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it actually could backfire. You, he became a jerk or, you know, whatever. This is back when you were normal. Yeah, and then all this other <laughs> stuff happened. Yeah, that's that negative sentiment, that criticism. Oh, uh, boy. All right, well, listen. Um, yeah, that's all I have. So what's the next show? Do you think, uh, what do you think we're going to, and we can change our minds, so don't, don't, um, don't. Well, I was thinking I mentioned mindfulness. I mentioned meditation. Uh, that's, you know, a big thing, as well as uh, acceptance commitment therapy. People are re- relate to anxiety, panic disorders. We can talk about that. So um, again, email us. At yeah, reach in- out. At info at innerbalancepsychology.com to let us know if you have any questions or any input. I've been kind of taking a poll with my current patients and people professionally about things that are... Uh, good topics for our show. And it seems to be that when they're relatable topics, they, they seem to be uh, good ones. 
Absolutely. We also have a little swag now. I got some magnets and I got some stickers to hand out. And um, I just want to thank everyone for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. And you can now find Talk Therapy CBT on many, many platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Deezer, Spotify. We're getting out there. This wraps up our session number five on couples therapy for today. This is Dr. Rafa signing off. And remember everyone to stop it and give yourself a chance. See you next time.